I'm Emma. And I'm Colin. And this is Frederick Uncut. We're talking about what you're curious about across the county with a new episode out every Tuesday. This week, the Jewish community in Frederick and beyond is still reeling from an October 27th shooting in which 11 congregants were gunned down in a Pittsburgh synagogue. The shooter, who has been charged with a hate crime among other charges, shouted all Jews must die as he fired into the crowd. Incidents of anti-Semitism are on the rise in the United States. In 2017, reported incidents of anti-Semitism rose by 57%, according to the Anti-Defamation League's latest report. I visited the Beth Shalom Synagogue on Friday for Shabbat, the first they'd had since the shooting. The sanctuary was full and there was a police officer standing outside. Members of the community described their response to the shooting, some speaking about their parents, survivors of the Holocaust, and others who weren't Jewish at all but came to show support. Noah Cornett, a young transgender Jewish man, said he wasn't shocked to hear of the attack. You know, it's just been devastating, the whole thing. It's been, it's like my foundations have been shaken. Mm -hmm. It's not, I wasn't surprised when I heard about it. I wasn't surprising. It wasn't a shock. It was just, it was like I, I, I knew this was coming. I was kind of surprised it took so long, <laughs> almost. I felt like, I felt like something like this should have happened sooner. That doesn't make it any easier to accept. It doesn't make it any less devastating. But it's also been, you know, I've been amazed at the support I've gotten from other people, both within and without the community. Um, I've had, you know, non-Jewish friends show up in solidarity. The day it happened, I had someone come over, drive half an hour just to check up on me and see how I was doing. And that support has just been amazing. Um, and it's not something that I've seen, like when Charlottesville happened, there was some solidarity, but it wasn't, this is different. It's like there's been a shift, and that's been, I feel like that's helped. <laughs> you said you weren't surprised. Why is that? Well, because, I, I guess because there's just, it was something I've been expecting to see there's there's definitely been a building tension over the last several years, especially when, you know, last year when Charlottesville happened. That was that was definitely um, kind of everything coming to a head, everything boiling over a little bit, and and there's been a lot of a lot of anger, a lot of divisiveness, and a lot of just. You know, white supremacy in a lot of ways is rooted in anti-Semitism. And it all comes back down to anti-Semitism in a lot of ways. And while Jews generally don't face the same kind of oppression that other marginalized groups do in America, we are still very much a target. We are still very much the primary target for a lot of these people on the fringe. And so... So I really was, you know, I was bracing myself, you know. I, th I think a lot of people, a lot of, there were, I've spoken to other people who have also said, you know, that they are devastated, but they're not surprised. It's, yeah. it's like we, we, we knew, we, we've seen the writing on the wall for a while. We've known that this hatred is brewing. Another Jewish man, Nathan Sadownik, said he rarely gets emotional about anything, but the shooting hit him hard. The thought of... Uh of that, of a shooting like that, and the devastation uh, really brought tears to my eyes, surprisingly enough. And uh, it so happens that my parents were Holocaust survivors. 
and I personally was born in a, a DP camp, a displaced persons camp in Germany, a refugee camp. So the thought that, that, that Jews were being shot in the United States for being Jews and also that one of the, uh, uh, one of the victims was a Holocaust survivor really uh, brought tears and uh, really made me very, very sad and uh, very emotional. When you were growing up, did you grow up thinking that America was different? I that grew this was a thing of the past? Or? I'm not sure. I, I grew up, uh, I like to think that my, first I like to think that my parents weren't survivors, they were fighters. So um, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, on, uh, on, you know, and I was a fairly tough kid. I'm a big guy. And uh, I had a lot of fights about being Jewish because I was Jewish. Uh, there were, you know, not... And it was... Uh, so uh, I was used to that. I was used to having to defend myself. It, it subsided over, over time, you know. When I went to high school, it subsided a little bit. And then in college, it subsided. But uh, I, I knew there was anti-Semitism. And there was always... A, a concern about um, uh, possibly having to get into a fight it didn't bother me because I was, you know, it was something that I was used to. I think there has to be a more sense of universality in that uh, we got to get away from the we and them. No matter what we believe and no matter what our religion or ethnicity or race uh, which is man-made races or man-made role for human race. Uh, we need to get away from that division, and we need to accept people on an individual basis, and uh, we need to move quickly in that direction. And I think that's true for not only the United States, but the rest of the world as well. And I think we have a big opportunity here in the states for yeah. that. We're joined by Rabbi Jordan Hirsch of the Beth Shalom Congregation in Frederick. Rabbi, thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. So we just heard a little bit from the community about, you know, their lack of surprise, you know, when they got word of the shooting and just the devastation that they experienced. Um, what were your first thoughts when you we first got news of the shooting? Well, when I first got news, we didn't understand the magnitude of what had happened. It happened during a Shabbat, a Saturday morning service, and in our tradition, uh, in the conservative uh, movement and the Orthodox movement of Judaism, we don't generally use electronics on Shabbat, certainly not in the synagogue. And so the first news we got was from a police officer who came in during the service and said he wanted just to check, make sure we were all right, said there was a shooting at a synagogue in Pittsburgh, and that's all we knew. Um until, of course, later that night when the Sabbath ended for us and turned on my phone and saw what had happened, my heart just sank. Uh, at first, I didn't know what to think. You know, there have been mass shootings going on in this country now uh, with some increasing regularity, but to know that it was a a synagogue where people were gunned down while they were worshiping, doing the exact same thing I was doing in the exact same kind of place that I was in, 
uh, and that we have here was scary because it felt more vulnerable. I felt more vulnerable, and I think much of our community feels much more vulnerable than uh, than we felt in the face of other shootings that have happened because it's it's us it's and it's in a our space. Even though Pittsburgh synagogue, of course, the Tree of Life is not our congregation here. It's it's another conservative synagogue in another mid-sized American city. Did you uh, did you immediately start thinking of security precautions for yourself? Have you had any discussion among? That wasn't immediately where I went with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a discussion ongoing, not just in the Jewish community, in the religious community in general in America. Uh, we do have in our synagogue a security committee that has been working on improving security around the synagogue in a variety of ways. It was actually um, an unfortunate matter of timing that that Sunday morning we actually had a security meeting, uh, security committee meeting already planned. So that, of course, took on a whole new sense of urgency. But there's a, a debate, you know, in our community, in the wider Jewish community, in the wider religious community, where you have these two competing goals. You want a space where people can come to and feel safe and that they're in a place of refuge, a sanctuary, what it, what it literally means, a place where you can escape to and feel a sense of peace and safety. Uh, and we want to do that in a way where we reduce the barriers to entry, where people feel welcome to come in and to reduce the barriers to entry while raising the barriers to entry, which is essentially the, the dichotomy we're faced with is a really difficult struggle to navigate. I want to, I read this morning, you wrote a Facebook post that was pretty lengthy and you talked, you, you kind of opened at the beginning, you talked a little bit about politics and you, you wrote, quote, the root of this weekend slaughter cannot be found in politics. Um, can you talk a little bit about that um, and, and how you, you think that p- this is not a politicized situation, even though some may make it out to be politicized? Yeah. And I would say what I what I tried to write was not about politics, but to move the conversation in, in certain places away from politics, which mm-hmm. is to say that I don't deny that politics are an important tool that we have as Americans, as citizens of any nation, to shape the uh, the the color of our country, what it looks like, what it feels like, the our social fabric. Um, for sure, it is, and laws. And policies have tangible effects. They can save lives and they can have very real import and impact in our communities and our nation as a whole. So I don't mean to deny that in any way whatsoever. But at the same time, the root of what happened in Pittsburgh, as I understand it, is hatred. It's, in that particular case, a deep-seated violent anti-Semitism, a hatred of Jews simply because of who we are. And that isn't something that laws are going to change. Yes, if we have laws on the books that um, make it harder to purchase weapons that can be used in mass shootings, will that perhaps mitigate uh, the part of the symptoms of that hatred? It could very well, absolutely. But it doesn't get rid of the hatred. Laws don't change minds or hearts. And that is what I believe is our central task. And I think that it's part of what is tearing at our na- social, national social fabric right now in general, not just in issues of, 
of what happened in Pittsburgh, but in what's going on with race, immigration, uh, economics, social issues, there's we've seemed to have lost the ability to speak to one another as human beings that have different opinions and beliefs within a goal of trying to understand who the people are we're speaking to, what they believe and why they believe it, at the same time holding firm to our own personal beliefs. Um, And when we lose that, when we look at another person sitting across from us and equate them with an issue, well, it's it's much easier to to turn that into hate. And uh, so politics are important, policies are important, but the root of all of this, I believe, is that hatred. And that's what we need to focus on, to create greater acts of love, to show the world that the love we have for one another is stronger than the hate we have. Um, is there anything? Oh, I'm sorry, Emma. Yeah, for some, I mean, it just seems like those you know, the sense that anti-Semitism is a thing really of the past, is a thing we read about in history. Um, but at the same time, you'll hear a lot from the community that this wasn't a surprise. And you're kind of talking to how that hatred and division is growing in our country. I mean, what do you make of that? Is anti-Semitism something that is resurging or just never went away at all? Both. Uh the Anti-Defamation League, which is an organization that tracks anti-Semitic incidents all around the world. Um, uh, if you, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. You can go to their website and see the graphs. But the levels of anti-Semitism, of reported anti-Semitic acts right now, is higher than they've been in 40 or 50 years. Uh, so anti-Semitism... And again, not just as a system of beliefs, but anti-Semitic acts against synagogues. You know, it's not just Pittsburgh. In Brooklyn, there have been synagogues this past week that have been vandalized. Um, You know, it's been going on, uh, and it has not disappeared. It seems to have faded into the background partly because the Jewish community over the past several decades has achieved... um, a deep level of integration into the social fabric, right? So you go back 50 years, um, you know, I mean, we have congregants whose parents weren't allowed to join the Frederick Golf Club because they were Jewish. Uh, medical schools had quotas on Jews. Um, hospitals, a lot of the Catholic or Christian hospitals only had a certain number of uh, Jews they were allowed to work there. Uh And that's only a generation ago. And even though that has disappeared, and so it seems anti-Semitism is a thing of of the past, it has not really disappeared. It's just kind of faded into the back and acceptability of our social fabric. And uh, I think that now that we have a general discourse in our nation that gives more freedom to the movement of, of hateful actions, that we're seeing it a bit more, but I don't believe it ever went anywhere. And and we are seeing an uptick now of anti-Semitic incidences across the country, across Europe. I, you had mentioned, you know, a solution to this is kind of meeting everything with love and, and kind of positivity. Are there any other things? To, do, you, do you see this getting better anytime soon when it comes to anti-Semitism? <laughs> Part of me, the hopeful part of me, does. Part of me believes that if we reach out to one another, get to know one another as neighbors, as friends, as citizens, uh, then then we can do something about that and actually change those hearts and change minds. Um, the realist in me looks at history 
and says, you know, I could find all sorts of reasons going on in any particular society at any particular time why the world in that particular place didn't like Jews. Um, and it's always been there. Uh, they call anti-Semitism the world's oldest form of hatred. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I don't know. It, the truth is it seems to be getting worse, especially in places in, in Europe, but but frankly in, in America too. Um, and so do I see it disappearing anytime soon? If, if soon is the operative word, no. But I'm hopeful that one day we will be able to eradicate all forms of hatred and, and, and senseless violence. And when you're talking about that love toward each other and, and kind of community, do you think at all about divisions within the Jewish community? Is that something that comes up when you're facing anti-Semitism or a, a tragedy like this? Yeah, I mean, look, Judaism, like all, like many other traditions, has different denominations that, you know, um, and there are different relationships between different denominations. I think the power of, of something like what happened last weekend in Pittsburgh uh, just as in many of our lives, it's often tragedy that pulls us together. Uh, it's in those moments where we find ourselves saying, uh, just as we were doing at the vigil this Sunday night, the day after the shooting, when we had, there were three Frederick Jewish communities. It's not all the time that all three of us are together. And we were there together that night saying there's no reform, no conservative, no orthodox. There's just Jewish. Are you? Do you have any plans to uh, reach out to the people of Pittsburgh or anything? Any sort of fundraiser, food drive things that you have in mind? We haven't been a part of that. Um, I know a lot of synagogues in the area, more than that, have um, tried to organize trips to, to Pittsburgh, buses mm-hmm. to go up. And there were communities in the area that had reached out to a wider vicinity, including the Frederick Jewish community, to join them. Um, I'm not sure who took them up on that or not. Mm-hmm. You said uh, the the day after you had scheduled a security meeting anyway. Yeah, it was already on the calendar. That was already on the calendar. Can you talk a little bit about how that meeting went? Um, I mean, I don't want to talk too specifically because yeah. part of, part of <laughs> yeah. the idea of security is people not knowing yes. uh, what, yeah. what's in store. But, you know, I think the I think the most important part of any security plan for, for an organization like ours is... Uh, creating means so that we don't have to put it into place, right? Mm-hmm. So deterrence is, is of course, um, a big part of, of what we talk about, um, as well as all the you know procedures, what happens if, more importantly, perhaps, uh, is, is how do we make sure that someone who might be considering such a thing doesn't get to the point where they feel they can actually pull it off. But were a lot of people just expressing fear? I mean, how do you make people feel safe now? Some people were. But even those who were, the vast majority of responses that I heard from people were of resolution that, that were not going to be kept away. I mean, you were there Friday night. You saw we had, I, I don't know exactly, at least 100 people in full, the sanctuary. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, so people are coming out. People are saying we're not going to be kept away because of fear. And, and especially an act like this, uh, I think it's... You know, one thing when there's a shooting that seems to happen because or some other, you know, um, mass violent incident where you just happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time or it was for, you know, political reasons. Um, But when it's anti-Semitism, when it's other forms of hatred of 
because of the individuals of who they are, then those people, I find, tend, you know, from my experience as a Jew in this day and age after Pittsburgh, uh, tend to respond by affirming who we are and saying we're not going to be kept away from our holy spaces because there are people who hate us. There have always been people who hate us. And God forbid in the year 2018, after 2,000 years of dealing with this, we're going to be feel that we can't go into our synagogues. Have you personally been subject to, you know, any anti-Semitism throughout your life? So I feel pretty blessed. Uh, I grew up in an area not so different than Frederick, actually quite a bit smaller uh, in upstate New York, a farming community. Um, and I experienced a few, what I'd call minor incidents, nothing ever violent. Um, and, you know, one was a joke by a classmate in the locker room. And in the end, all my classmates kind of ganged up on him, telling him, you know, shouting him down not to do that. So it ended up being actually a very affirming moment for me. And, you know, once we had a, a meeting with my mom and me and with our guidance counselor, and uh, she, she said something, there was some graffiti on the school, and she says, yeah, you know, the Jews and the blacks. And, you know, my mom was never a quiet person. I was the only Jew in my high school for a long time. So my mom was very, uh, was a very strong advocate for the Jewish community in my town with the public schools. Uh, so first we couldn't even believe she said that and, and we weren't even sure she did. It just seemed so strange. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the truth is that is all that I myself have ever experienced. I know when I talk to kids that grew up around here, their stories, I, I haven't heard a single child yet say they've gone through the Frederick schools without experiencing anti-Semitism in some form. Nothing violent I've ever heard, thank God. Hmm. So, I mean, as a community, have you have you found Frederick to be uh, one of the more accepting places you've been? I'll, t I'll give you an example of how I view the relationship between Frederick and the Jewish community. It was maybe a year ago. Actually, I think it was during the, the last campaign season. Uh, there was on the sidewalk downtown, somebody put a swastika. And the article, and I, and I loved it, and I think the way that the News Post covered it captured for me the, the real essence of what this community was about because the article wasn't about some guy drawing a swastika on the sidewalk. The article was about a woman who walking to work first thing in the morning saw the swastika on the sidewalk, went into a store, bought some chalk, made it into four boxes, and wrote, No Hate in Frederick. That, to me, the beauty of that story really captures my experience being Jewish in Frederick, which is that, yes, we know there are people who don't like Jews. They're everywhere. I, I'm sure the farther you get out of the city, the more you might find something like that in, a, in an area like this. But at the end of the day, the overwhelming sense is that we, the Jewish community, are a part of the social fabric of this community. And, uh, and we are Fredericktonians, just like you are Fredericktonians. We just happen to be Jewish Fredericktonians. You've had to, you know, lead your congregation through a lot, through social and political things, election, um, you know, I'm thinking Charlottesville, things like mm -hmm. that. Um, how do you go about leading um, the congregation through tragedy? And, and how are you kind of going to go forward in the days, weeks, months after the shooting? How do you process tragedy and help people deal with that my central role in moments like this is to provide hope 
there are a myriad of ways that you can talk about tragedy, frame a tragedy, process a tragedy. But at the end of the day, my goal is to give people hope that whatever that tragedy was, that that does not define our human spirit, that that does not define our community, and that at the end of the day, we are safe. I mean, there are all sorts of events that happen, you know? I mean, it wasn't so long ago in Colombia. There was a mall shooting. There were school shootings. There are concert shootings, movie theater shootings, shootings in places of worship. We can't go about our lives never leaving our homes. We have to recognize that in, in life, there is an inherent amount of risk, but the vast majority of people go to the movie theaters and come home, go to school and come home, go to concerts and come home, or go to worship services and come home. And that's what we have to focus on. We can't be paralyzed. Uh, and when we recognize, you know, part of the problem, I think, is that we so often focus on darkness. Because darkness is dangerous. You walk into a dark room, you're going to trip, you're going to fall. And so we're afraid of darkness and we feel the darkness viscerally, but we never focus on the light. Even in this room right now, you see me, I see you, but do we see the light? Right? The light itself. And the irony, of course, is that darkness is just a figment of our imagination. It's not real. Photons are real. Light is actually something. It's, it's real. It exists in this world, in this room right in front of us, but we don't see it. And the darkness, which isn't even real, it's just an absence of light, that we feel viscerally. And so we have to retrain ourselves to see the light, to focus on the light, to feel it, to know that that's what's real in the world. And that if we can remove the barriers to light, less darkness will exist. And we have the power to do that. When darkness creeps in for you, how do you uh, deal with that personally to find the light? That's a good question. I think first, the most important thing is, is recognizing that darkness can be made darker or brighter by the amount of light that we let in around it. So I think of, you know, if you look at a, your shadow, if you put your hand and you see the shadow of your hand and you open your fingers, you don't see a blob. You see the, the actual outline of your fingers. Um, and when you look at that shadow, you probably see whatever's through it. If you're holding it up to the floor, you still see the pattern of the carpet or you see the wall or whatever it is behind it. Because the light, unlike the darkness, which only exists where the light is blocked, right, the shape of my hand, lightness actually creeps in around the edges. And the more light we let in, even when we experience darkness, the more light we let in, the lighter that darkness becomes. So when you're facing a personal tragedy, a death perhaps of somebody close, you feel that darkness is a terrible uh, experience. And when you let people into your lives, it's one of the power of, of, of at least Jewish mourning customs is that it, it kind of forces you to be in community. Um, because when you let people in, when you allow people to give their expressions of love and take care of you, it's not that the darkness disappears. It's not that the pain is no longer there, but you also feel held and you feel the light as well. Well, Emma, I think I think that's that's about all we have. Uh, we really want to thank you for coming by. Thank you uh, for having me. Yeah, thanks so much. And for reaching out. Thanks. Frederick Uncut is produced by Graham Cullen, Emma Kerr, and me. Join us next week for an all-new episode.